Um, if, if you were to reflect on uh, your life so far to this point, um, and if you were to think about kind of your, your, the spiritual journey that you've been on, um, think about what are, what are the times that have been the most spiritually dynamic in your life? Like, what are the times where, where when you think about your life, you're like, these were the times that I was closest with God, where just things, everything felt so alive. I felt like I was interacting with Him so much. I felt so close to Him. I felt like I was really growing with Him. Can you think of a few times where, where that really seemed to be the case? Um, we, when, I, when I say this, this is a question for, uh, for someone who, who is in a relationship with Jesus. Um, we believe that you are in a relationship with Jesus when you have placed your faith in Jesus for the gift of eternal life. Uh, if you're not sure what that means for you and you'd like to have a conversation with that, about that, I would, it would be a privilege for me to talk with you after service or, or schedule a time to, to talk about this. But for this question of if you're in a relationship with God, what, what are the most dynamic times that you've had with Him in your life? I think if a lot of us answered this question, we would think of things like, man, there was that time that I was in this really intimate small group, and we really knew each other, and we talked it's like so openly, and we found support there. Some people might, might think of times where they went to certain conferences or mission trips where there was this event that they went to, and man, it was just God spoke to me so much, and just it, things really felt personal, and I felt like God was really there. Uh, maybe sometimes it's, it's like we, we read a book or a series of books or we sat under a very gifted teacher or preacher and we heard things and we felt like, man, God is speaking so much. And sometimes after the fact, our feeling is, how do I get back to that? Like, how do I get back so I'm close to God like I used to be? I want to be back there again. What, what do I need to do to get back there? And so we, we look for ways that we can go and, and find those things. Uh, we're we're in, uh, the God, the, in the epistle of 1 John. John is writing this to Christians saying, this is how you are cl- become close to God. Let me talk to you about fellowshipping with God. This is an extension of the gospel of John. When he writes the gospel of John, he's writing so that as an evangelistic book, so you know how to be in a relationship with Jesus, he then writes 1 John saying, this is how you fellowship with God now that you're in a relationship with him. He's writing this because in his context, there are, there are false teachers who are teaching different forms of Gnosticism, saying there is a, there's this kind of this emphasis on knowledge, and once you acquire this knowledge, this kind of sense of spiritual enlightenment, then you will have arrived at spiritual maturity. And so your goal is to come and define this kind of knowledge. And with this, this puts such an emphasis on knowledge that ultimately it becomes morally indifferent. And the way that you live your life ultimately doesn't matter that much as long as you find the knowledge that you need. And John is writing against this and saying, this is not what spiritual intimacy looks like. We, uh, Ethan started First uh, John 1 with us uh, last week, and uh, verse 3, it tells us the purpose of the book. It says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us, 
and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He's writing and saying, I want you to know how to have fellowship with God, and I want you to know how to have fellowship with his church. And so he writes this, and so he, as he continues after this, we, we pick up in verse 5, and he starts by saying, we have to begin this conversation talking about the nature of God. And what are the fundamental truths about who this God is that we're trying to fellowship with? And so in verse 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light in them. In him there is no darkness at all. This is a, a very simple and straightforward truth. John is writing and he says, I have been in fellowship with Jesus Jesus has revealed to me truths about God the Father. I, am sharing, I have shared this with you, and I am reminding you that God is light, in him there is no darkness. This, this statement here, the emphasis on, uh, in this statement is on that there is no darkness in him. You know, in, in English, when we, it's always bad grammar to use two, two negatives. You know, you never say, I no, I don't, I don't not want to do something. Uh, in, in Greek, uh, double negatives is the grammar is fine and it actually puts an emphasis on something. And so he's, he uses this double negative here when he's saying there is no darkness in God. So your, your translation probably says something along the lines of there's no darkness, not at all, or not even any darkness to, to make the point that John is saying we need to be absolutely clear if we're going to talk about the nature of God that there is no, not even a trace of darkness in him. He's saying God is holy, God is righteous, God is light, there is life in him, and he reveals, he exposes. There is no darkness, no shame, no hiddenness, nothing that is buried uh, and, and disguised. There is no immorality in him. The God that we are fellowshipping with is fully righteous. And so it matters the way that we live. Now we can't say, uh, it just matters how much knowledge I have about God. And I'm, just, I'm just trying to find as many facts out about God. I can't say that I go and acquire that and think that I'm becoming more intimate with him. That the way that I'm living and relating to God has to match that. That the way that I live should be impacted by how much I know about him. And so I, I can't just say, God, I'm close to you. I, I know so much about you and then not live any differently. God is, is fully good. He's fully righteous. He's brought us into a relationship with him. And so the way that we live our lives matters. We don't, become, uh, we don't place our faith in Jesus and then live the exact same way for the rest of our lives and think that, that nothing is different. The gospel is, it is a small gospel that just says this is about salvation. You know, this, this reminds me of um, before, before I was he, uh, working here at, at Ambassador, I, I was teaching at, I was working at, at Biola and uh, this is by no means um, a bash on Biola, Christian education, Biola students. I know we have some Biola students here. We all do this. Um, 
But there are times where I would have conversations with, with students and I would talk about um, what, what's going on spiritually. How, how, is, how is this time here impacting your spiritual growth? And a lot of times I would hear an answer along the lines of this. I'm, I am growing so much. Uh, t- tell me more about this. What, what's happening? And they're, man, I'm taking foundations of Christian thought. And man, my, my mind is blown. And I have all these professors that are so good and so gifted. And we have these chapels where these great speakers are coming in and, and speaking to us. And I'm learning so much about God. I have never had a more dynamic time in my spiritual life than now. And that, that's great. The knowledge is, is very helpful and it, it supports an intimate relationship with God, but it is not an instant, intimate relationship with God. Like if, a, uh, if someone who does not believe in Jesus was to come and hear those same things, what would be different? Like the way that we, and we, when we learn about God, the way that we live should change as a result of it. What matters is the way that we're relating to him, not what we know about him. And as we know more about him, that should help us live differently. But the way that we relate to him should change, and that's what intimacy is. And we, we all do this. We, we read a, a great book. We hear some gifted preacher talk about something, and we think, man, Scripture has come alive. I've learned so much about him. But that doesn't mean that our relationship with him has become more intimate. We have to relate to him to have an intimate relationship. And so this is not a, knowledge is not a substitute for intimacy. You know, this, John is writing here saying that the way you live impacts the intimacy with you, with, that you have with him. But we need to, I want to pause for a second and just acknowledge he is not saying the way you live changes, uh, creates the reality of a relationship. That the reality of the relationship we have is, is being given to us by his grace, but the quality of the relationship is shaped by how we live. And so it's important for us to, to relate to God and say, God, you are light, you are pure. Show me where in me am I not living according to that. Where is the darkness that is in me that is impeding and affecting the way that and depth that I can relate to you? I, I, I want to say this, this gently, but... But clearly, my, my concern is if, if when you are talking with God, if he does not communicate anything to you, if your values are the same as his values, my concern is that we've made a God in our image. If, if, I'm, if I'm talking to God and I'm saying my heart matches God's we, we coincide with each other like a glove, it's possible that I've ignored what he's been telling me. It's possible that he has been trying to communicate to me and reveal to me aspects of my heart that I need to realize and I haven't been willing to listen to him. 
And so we, we need to be careful that if it seems like God always agrees with us, it's possible that we are not talking about the God of the Bible. And I, I say this, that we need to reflect on this, and we need to think, man, there should be some sort of difference because I am not fully light. I am not, I am not, I don't have that same character, and so there should be times where I feel a rub. God is a perfect God. God, He has brought us into a secure relationship, but the way that we live impacts what that relationship looks like. Relating with God requires us to allow Him to deal with our sin. This requires honesty. And this is something we are reluctant to give. And we continue in, in verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from sin. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This is, this is a mouthful. There are three statements that John makes in here about deceptions we make about sin. The first one in, this is in verse 6, he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, so sin, the deception is that sin does not affect my fellowship with God, that I am able to compartmentalize my sin and separate it from the way that I relate with God. That there is a sense where I can, I can sin, I can do something in secret, I can do something internally, and, and there is a way that it does not impact the fellowship that I can have with him. This, there's a number of mistruths here, uh, one being the fact that God knows everything and that God sees me and God knows what's going on in my life, whether, I, whether it's internally, whether it's a thought, whether it's something I'm doing by myself. The other thing that, that this, this misunderstands is it, it communicates that I have the awareness uh, and the wisdom to see any way that any effect of my sin. You know, like sometimes, sometimes we think about this uh, in relationship with other people of, I don't really need to confess that because that was, that was just a sin between me and God. It, it didn't really impact them, so it's not that big of a deal. The, the issue with that is that assumes I can think of every single way that that sin could affect someone. So I, I don't really need to talk to, to my wife about that, that issue. I don't really need to talk to my boss or, or my friends about that sin. It, it was just something that, was, that happened by myself. No one else really knows about it, so I don't need to go there. But, but the fact is, I don't always know the way that sin is affecting me, and so sometimes it comes out in ways that I don't see. And so John says here, we, have the, we can have this deception that sin does not harm my fellowship with God. We could also say it does not. We could think that it does not harm our fellowship with each other. In verse 8, he says, 
A second one, if we claim to be without sin, this is the idea that I am not guilty of sin. So the the thought that I can go through times in life, or maybe I can even mature to the point where I'm no longer sinning. Maybe even we, we get in an argument and tell me if you've ever felt this way, it was the other person's fault. You know, they flew the plane and crashed it. I was just a passenger. I had nothing to do with, with what happened. I'm not guilty. My hands are clean with this one. And, and John says this is another way that we can lie to God about our sin. Say, I'm not guilty. Like I, as though I have the awareness to think of any possible form of guilt I could have. And John says, no, this is, this is just another way that we lie about our sin. This affects the fellowship that we have with him. Third, third one, no, verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, so this is, I get to decide what is sin. I have the authority to declare myself righteous and to declare what sin is and what sin isn't. And so this is something that I have the wisdom to do, and I can declare, uh, God, it's time to update what is righteous and what morality is. I can look at situations and I can say, what that person did is wrong, and so I now have the authority to determine what a righteous response is to that. There, there are times, especially in our culture right now, that this is becoming, um, this is becoming very evident. You know, there's, there's a, a, a sense of at, at times where if somebody is doing something that, that is alienating, um, that is uh, a form of bullying, it's almost like it's okay to shame the bully. And that, that's okay, and that's a moral response. And there's a part of our culture that tells us that. And it doesn't matter what the other side is doing. We don't get to, shaming does not become a moral response. And so we need to be careful that we're not deciding what is righteous and what is sin. These are forms of deception that demonstrate being closed off to God. One, one commentator writes that walking in the light is to be responsive to the light which God sheds in the heart. It is an attitude of willingness to confess immediately every sin as soon as it is recognized to be sin. Such confession brings the Christian at once into moral agreement with God. It is a responsiveness to God, a willingness to confess. See, in, in verse 9, we read that he said, he said to confess sin. Um, this, this word, confess, uh, fun fact, it, this is the only time John writes this word, confess, in relationship to sin. All the other times he writes confession, it is in relationship to, to a truth, confessing that Jesus is the Christ. An example, this is the only time where he says, confess your sin, the, the word confess here means to admit, to agree. And so he's saying, confess your sin. This means to agree with God about your sin. To say the same thing about your sin that God would. 
that this, this is confession. You know, there's, there's times where, you know, anytime, uh, anytime there's like a, a public figure who, who, you know, does something bad and then they need to issue an apology, they, you know, we always see like the non-apology apology. Uh, the like, I'm sorry if you were offended by like my, you know, bigoted statement that I made, blah, 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 blah. And everybody's like, it's on tape. We heard what you said. Like, nobody's asking for your sympathy for our feelings. We're asking you to acknowledge what you did, right? And so there's this non-apology apology that gets made. And there's times where it's like, God, God is saying, if you are going to confess your sin, you are calling it what it is. You are agreeing with, with what God says that sin is sin. And so there's not sugarcoating it. Confession is not a, a formula. It's not a, a certain list of sentences that you need to say and say the right words, and then it's confessed but it's relating with God and calling it what it is and saying, God, I agree with, which, with what you're calling this, that this was sin. You know, th- okay, this, this, might be, this might be a little bit hokey, but imagine, imagine this, like, you are, you are a reporter. Uh, I, you know, on the drive home, I always listen to NPR, so I hear Mary Louise Kelly, and so I'm a bald Mary Louise Kelly, Kelly and uh, it's on the radio, so who knows, maybe she is. Um, and so she is interviewing someone and says, okay, so tell me what happened, and hands the mic to the witness. Like, imagine you are talking to God and interviewing him about what happened. His words should be the same as your words. The way that God would describe the situation, what he would call it, should be the same way that we are calling it when we're confessing. We are agreeing with God about what he said. And so when I'm confessing, I'm saying, God, the way that I treated those people, it was dismissive. It was rude. I did not see the value that you have on them and on, on their hearts. And I relate with God that that was wrong. I should not have treated those people that way. There's confession when we relate with God in this, God, help me to understand what was going on in my heart. Many times he brings up things and says, he reveals a truth that, about something that we're not seeing about him. That God, I don't realize that you value people unconditionally. And so even if I look at them and I think, think little of them, I don't understand and value how unconditional his love and acceptance is for them as it is for me. And so I need to, I need to wrestle with uh, being open to God and say, God, I want to relate with you in the midst of my sin. This, this is confession. You know, when we, when we deny sin, um, when we, when we try to sweep it under the rug, when we want to call it by a different name that's a little more palatable, this doesn't address the issue. It's, it's taking a, a moldy orange and taking it off the counter and sticking it in a cabinet. You know, and it, it buys you a day that you don't have to deal with it or it's out of sight and out of mind, but it doesn't change the reality that the problem is still there. 
You know, there's every part of us that wants to save face and say, that really wasn't that bad. But confession is, I'm calling it what God calls it. God, I, I agree with what you, says, what you say it is. I'm going to be willing to be honest. And the thing is that when, when we're honest with God, this allows for more intimacy with him, not less even if it's such a, such a bad sin that we never want to admit. Honesty allows for sin to be addressed, and God makes provisions for this. Uh, I want to talk about, go back to verse 7. He says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. You know, I, I want you for a moment to just notice the, notice the order in the, the flow of thought. He says, you know, if we walk in the light, then he purifies us from all sin. Notice, notice that it's not flopped the other way. Notice that it's not he purifies us from all sin and then we walk in the light. Notice he's saying, you, you need to be open with me. You need, to fel- you need to interact and engage with me. And the result from that will be that God will purify you. You know, again, he's talking to Christians here, people who are walking in the light. And he's saying that I will be purifying you. I will be changing you and sanctifying you as you interact with me. That, that the, this interaction, this willingness to be open to God, to be honest to him, to, to call it what he calls it, this happens, and then the result is he will start, he will be purifying us. This purifying, this, the, the verb he uses here, notice it's also in the present tense. This is not something that, this is not talking about salvation where he purified us in the past. This is something in present tense that is actively happening. And so this is, this is the Christian life, that I'm going to be honest with God, I'm going to, be, I'm going to allow myself to, to speak honestly and, and to call it what it is, and the result from that will be that God will be changing me and sanctifying me. You know, it's, it's a sermon for another day, but just notice that the interesting fact that uh, in the middle of this verse, he says, we have fellowship with one another. Like, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, it doesn't say we have fellowship with him, but it says we have fellowship with one another. It's by interacting and relating with God that this allows us to interact with each other. This allows us to have unity with each other. In verse 9, this is, this is a good one to memorize, but he says the, a similar idea. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, in both of these verses, it says all sin and all unrighteousness. This, this is, this, there's nothing excluded from this. There is no sin that was too bad There was no sin that was too little that you're troubling God with confessing. There was no sin that was too much for him. It says all sins, past, present, future, all sins are forgiven. 
that God has enough forgiveness, enough grace to cover all of this. You know, I think what's more is that sometimes we think of this just in terms of our sin. Um, some, not all, but some of our sin is an unhealthy response to sin that has been done to us. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm, as I've been thinking about you during the week, I'm thinking, you know, many of our Asian brothers and sisters here have experienced different forms of racism. Many of our women in here have experienced different forms of, of abuse or sexism. You know, we could go on down the list that there's a number of, that we have experienced ways that our trust has been broken, we have experienced betrayal, we have been hurt by each other, and the effects of those sins we carry like the effects of people's sin up against us, we carry that. And there are times where in response to that, we, we, there is sin that comes from it. Again, there's our own sin that comes out uh, in, its own, in, in ways too. But I need God's grace and redemption from the sin that has been done against me as well. Like I need restoration from those things too. Because if all I've experienced has been ways that, that there is betrayal and I can't trust people, I need redemption from that so that I can learn to trust people and trust the church. It's hard to just say, uh, trust that God loves you if all I've ever known has been broken love. And so God, I need purification from that sin as well, as well as my own stuff that just comes out on its own. I, that's the level of forgiveness and purification that I need from God. And this is, this is what he's promising. He, he continues one more in, in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 1, he, he says that he is our advocate. You know, many times we think of the Holy Spirit as our advocate, and, uh, but the Son is also described as an advocate for us. This is, he is an advocate speaking to God the Father for us. This is not an idea as though there's tension between the Father and the Son, but we see even in, in the Gospels, there's a time where Jesus tells Peter, I'm praying for you uh, that your sin may not fail. That, that Jesus is, he sees our condition and he's concerned with our well-being and he's speaking to the Father on our behalf, speaking about the needs that we have. You know, one, one, one author writes, then what then is the principle of fellowship with God? Succinctly stated, it is openness to God and full integrity in the light of his word. You know, if, if you have spent time in, you know, in therapy, in spiritual direction, um, in some kind of like, intimate, close discipling relationship. Uh, a lot of times you go into these sorts of times and you think, okay, I, I, know, I know I have this sin here and these issues. I, I want to work through them. Uh, you go into these, these relationships and you start seeing, realizing God, God's revealing more and more and I just start seeing, 
oh my gosh, my, my sin runs far deeper than I realized. Like, there are so many things that I'm doing that I didn't even realize. My, my sin, I might just, my awareness of my sin increases the more time I spend in these things. And it can be easy for us as Christians to, to kind of assign this metric of maturity means less sin. And so it becomes confusing when God starts revealing our hearts more and we start becoming more aware of things and we think, I thought I'm getting closer to God, but I just see more and more and more sin. It, it's possible that God might be revealing more of your heart and as you're, as you're wrestling with this and thinking, what's going on right now? It, it's possible that it's not your sin that's increasing, but your awareness of your sin that's increasing. And so these become opportunities for us to relate to God in these. These become opportunities for us to say, God, I, I see this. You have shown this to me. I'm willing to be open with you. I'm willing to be genuine. I'm willing to talk to you about what it is. I'm willing to respond to you with this. So I'm going to be honest. I'm going to call it what it is. I'm asking that you trust God enough to be honest with him. You know, this is, this is something that is hard for us to do on our own. Uh, it helps to have other voices with us. Um, there, there's a couple people in my life that their insight uh, and their perspective is very valuable in, in revealing some of the things that are going on in my heart. You know, one of the ways that we try to approach this uh, in the church is through small group. You know, this is one of the reasons why we want to have the small group fair today and one of the reasons why we want to invite you to come and consider joining one. That these, these relationships... Uh, may there be uh, relationships in a group that you can find that are trusting, that are safe, and that you can be, you can allow people to speak into your life. But when we trust God, when we're willing to interact with His in His presence, He promises that He will bring restoration and transformation. You know, at the beginning, I asked you the question, what is the most dynamic, spiritually dynamic time that you've had in your life? You know, as I, as I thought about this question for myself, uh, I, there, were, there were two times that immediately came to my mind of people who loved me enough to, excuse my language, but cut through the BS. You know, people who loved me enough that, that they said, as much as I wanted to say, man, it, it's just a bummer of what I'm going through. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being faithful, though. And someone to lovingly come and say, Daniel, that's not true. What you're feeling are the effects of your sin. And those are times that I, I had to say, and... The reason why I say it was spiritually dynamic is, thankfully, I was willing to receive it. And it was, you're right. 
you know, and I have some conversations to have with God about this. You know, and in this, God says there is forgiveness, and he says there is going to be ongoing purification and restoration that he promises. But we need to be open with him, and we need to be willing to relate to him.